here we are, here we are. We're doing a, we're doing a series uh, called The Bridge to Abnormal. And uh, I, I've been talking about this as, as so that we have to understand who we are as a church, what we, how we do this as a church. And uh, so uh, as we're doing it, the big thing that I've been talking about is that uh, we have taken church and we've made Sunday into game day. And it's not the game day, it's practice. So I've been talking about this. And I told you, I'm going to wear you down with this. This is going to become, you're going to get so used to hearing this that you're just going to come in ready for practice. So right now we're at practice. So let me give you a couple things about practice. I like the way Gandhi said it. I don't believe everything Gandhi said, but he said it real well here. He said, an ounce of practice is worth more than tons of preaching. So would you rather me preach or practice? Yeah, let's, let's go some practice. And all right. <laughs> No, no, any response would be good there. <laughs> uh, and here's what Pete Rose says. My father taught me that the only way you can make good at anything is to practice, and then to practice some more. So that's what we're doing right now, is we're taking time on Sundays to practice. Uh, and so worship is a, a practice, because we get the opportunity to, to sing and, and be in this atmosphere where it's a perfect atmosphere to worship, so that when we go into the world this week, we're able to worship because we practice, right? Uh, so now I'm gonna help you in, in studying the word of God, and, and we're gonna practice. So I've got this new doohickey. Uh, I get to write on the screen, so I, as I write here, it's gonna show up there. And, uh, and it's just like studying the Bible. So when you're studying the Bible, you, you underline, you circle. And uh, we've been going through the book of 1 Corinthians. So uh, we've looked at 1 Corinthians uh, from the beginning. And the first thing that we, I've tried to help you understand is the, the series, The Bridge to Abnormal, is all about God taking us back to the church that we're supposed to be. We've gotten comfortable in culture. Uh, the church has become just part of culture. And so we're taking uh, a back, uh, a understanding that God is saying, hey, no longer are you going to be comfortable in culture. Uh, you're going to have to be a little abnormal. You're called to be abnormal. And, and that's what he writes to, to the church in, First Corinth, uh, in Corinth. He says, I'm writing to God's church in Corinth. So he's specifically telling you what he's doing. He says, to you who have been called by God to be his own holy people. And that has been our uh, the, that holy people is to say you are abnormal, you are set apart, you are sanctified is the word that some translations use. You are put into a position of uniqueness. And so you're supposed to be abnormal, and that's who he's writing to. And he says, the problem is you have allowed Corinth to be in the church rather than the church to be in Corinth. And so we, we, we've been walking through, and he takes chapter 1, to, to kind of hit them with this whole concept that you guys have allowed culture to define you rather than for you to go and change culture. And so he's, he, he lays that out. In chapter 2, he continues that, and he said, uh, that, that thought, and he says, the reason why culture has come in is you've been dependent on your human wisdom rather than godly wisdom. You're being spiritually immature. You're not growing up spiritually. But then we started last week, uh, we got into uh, the third chapter of Corinthians, and in the third chapter, third and fourth chapter, he begins to lay out what makes the church abnormal. What are some four, there's four things he lays out very distinctly of what they need to do that makes them different than the world. So uh, we're going to jump in. Last week we looked at the, that the first thing was their work. God's work is our salvation. Jesus Christ's death on the cross is our victory, but our, uh, there is value in our work. So the, those things go are connected. So uh, we, we then get to, uh, we're going to move into that third thing in, uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. But before we do that, I want to make sure we're all on the same page 
Because when you study the Bible, and if you're a guest or you're for a first-time visitor with us, that you'll really quickly, some of you already got a smile on your face, because you know what I'm going to ask you. When you study the Bible, the most important thing that you need to uh, do it from is what? And, okay, good. You guys got the first one. Second most important thing when you study the Bible is what? All right. And the third most important thing when you study the Bible is what? Context. Yes. So uh, context comes in different forms. There's uh, geographical context, which right here, there's contextual as in as where it's in in the Bible. Uh, there's context in who, how it applies. There's uh, different ways context applies. Here, I, w- I want to show you real quickly so that you know where we're at and geographically. Uh, so here's Jerusalem. So most of what we know about the Bible is over there. Let me, I, I'll get a different color here so we can, is this, is that, oh, hold on, hold on. I can get all kinds of things going here. How's that? See it? There's Jerusalem. I'm going to have so much fun with this. Oh, here, I can even do this. You can zoom in. There's Jerusalem. Uh, now that I've written over eight times. Um, it's, uh, but, so when we talk about what is happening in the New Testament, this is where it happens. Now, this, uh, all these arrows and these lines are all of Paul's journeys. This is what he, where he went and how he went there. So the, the purple one is his first journey. Then you have the orange one, which is his second journey. And then the, uh, the third one is the green. And then the red one is where he ends up over here in Rome. And that's where, that's his goal. Um, but if you look closely, you'll see the majority of what's happening with Paul all happens right there. Do you see that, the GNC? And the reason why he spent so much time there is because it was a vital place of correspondence and economic uh, positioning. So anything that happened there happened in those areas. So the port cities that were taking place here, uh, we can go to a a little bit, zoom into that area, the GNC area. And over here, uh, Ephesus right here, that's modern-day Turkey. Um, that is uh, a, a church that Paul uh, started there. Here's, up here is Thessalonica. Then you have Athens, which if you put any ancient uh, history, you're going to go to Athens right away. And here is where we are at. We are in Corinth. Now, the uniqueness of Corinth, and this is where you have to get some context. I know I, I spend a lot of time with this, but a foundation you'll see in a minute is vital to understanding what Paul is saying to the people he's writing to. So when you look at Corinth, right here is, it's, uh, it is a very unique spot. Now, uh, this is the Corinth that Paul would have been at. This one was uh, established in 1858, but this was, uh, and anyways, you don't need to know any of that because it doesn't apply to what we're studying. Uh, the big thing that you need to see here is this doikos. This is a, uh, a road that they built. It was actually a, almost like a rail system that when ships came in, they would come into the, uh, to the harbor and the Saronic Gulf and Saronic, Saronic Gulf, and they would actually take the ship, put it on a cart, and take it all the way across over to the Gulf of Corinth. It was amazing what they were doing, and the reason they did this because it was the safest passage and the quickest way to get from one, uh, from one side of the Roman Empire to the other side of the Roman Empire. So this is why they were doing this, and they put, it's amazing what they did here. But that's where Corinth is. Now, here's a picture of what you would see if you went to uh, Corinth today, the ancient ruins of Corinth. It was in a massive city. And this is where I want you to get, I try to get a picture of what was happening. And right now, you just see a bunch of rocks and stones and big temple uh, things, which are amazing if you go to the time period. But this Corinth was about, population of when Paul was there was somewhere between 300 and 400,000 people. That's a big city. That's a big city in our days. In that time period, that's huge. 
300 to 400,000 people lived in Corinth. And so you can see, here's an artist's rendition of what it would have looked like when Paul was uh, coming in. And if he had been coming uh, into the city, he would have seen all these things. He would have seen that right here, uh, this is the agora. Uh, th there's that word. That, that, that's the main courtyard. Uh, that's where all the commons took place. That's where the shops were. That's for the ladies. That's where the outlet mall was. Okay, does that help? Give you a picture of what's happening there. there um, gentlemen, are those of you that are wine lovers, there's 39 wine shops here that they've identified in their archaeological studies that there are 39 wine shops. When you talk about a sailor's town, this was it. They were coming in and they were buying their wine and they were doing what Corinthians do. And there's lots of things. It was a very immoral place. In fact, even by worldly standards, uh, there's historical uh, writings of this place, and they would call it, uh, when, if you were a Corinthian gal, that's uh, the way we would translate it, that means you were, uh, uh, what's the nice way of saying that in uh, modern, y you were, you knew a lot of men, <laughs> okay, <laughs> is, that, is, that, is that the best way to say that? Uh, if you were a Corinthian gal, or if you, someone said, man, you, you're acting like a Corinthian, if your girlfriend called you that, she was calling you a, <laughs> that's, this is my, my beeping. I don't have a live beep. And so, uh, <laughs> but that, that was, so that, that's, but okay, so in this, uh, uh, there, there is a Bema. This is, this is really cool. I wish I'd have thought of this a couple weeks ago when I was talking about the Bema. So the Bema is where the, they would have rhetorical sightings. And, and so uh, when you study it, it actually, they were having rhetorical battles. In modern day, you would call this a rap battle. Yeah, think Eminem, 8 Mile. I got spaghetti on my sleeve. Nobody? Is anybody? Okay, I just referenced Eminem in church. I'm in trouble. Uh, we, we might need to. <laughs> we're going places you never thought we'd go. Uh, <laughs> so they, they would have these rhetorical battles, and what would happen is they would, they would go against each other, and they have like these, like one would uh, say, my, my way's better than your way, and then they would go at each other, and they would come at each other in these rap battles, and then the one who would win the rap battle, if you won enough rap battles, you would go to the odium over here, and that seated 3,000 people. And there, they would have, you would pay to get in. And I, I think I gave this illustration last week, is if you were to go to the, uh, if, if you bring this into modern society, the Bema is where you would have your Facebook advertisements. You've, been, you've seen them, where they say, hey, if I can get you to uh, make $20,000 a month if you just follow my program of selling things on Amazon. Just all you gotta do is hit the subscription button. In $24.99, you'll, you'll be making $20,000. I'll make you a millionaire. You're making them a millionaire by you, but anyways. Uh, that, that would have been, the Bama would have been Facebook, and the Odium would have been uh, the, uh, our, the subscription that you bought into. Okay? So then you have the, the theater. The theater would have sat 18, here's the theater over here. That would have been 18,000 people would have been able to sit in that theater. That's a big, that'd been some fun things to see in there. I mean, it's just, uh, so then, but some things you need to focus on, there's the temple to Octavian, there's the temple to Apollo, uh, the, there's the Perrine uh, uh, fountain, which was actually a place where they worshiped the Perrine. Uh, you have to study Greek theology to get anything there. But uh, all these Greek things are happening here. And you see in this, this is what it would have looked like. It would have been an amazing place when Paul walked in there. Now, Let's, with that context, let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and let's begin at verse 16. It says, don't you realize, now as we're studying, as we're reading, go ahead, if you see something that you're like, oh, that's important, go ahead and, and think, or circle in your own 
uh, notes there, and we'll come back to it. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God lives in you? God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple, for God's temple is holy. You are that temple. Stop deceiving yourselves. If you think you are wise by the world's world standards, that there's, uh, you need to become a fool to be truly wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. Now remember, uh, last week we talked about that comparison. He brings it back up again. Here's that, that worldly st- standards. And, and then here, uh, the world is foolishness, but the wi- uh, wisdom. T- so he's g- giving this whole comparison. And then he, he gives some context. He quotes some scripture. He says, as the scriptures say, he traps the wise in the snare of their own cleverness. And again, he quotes another verse. The Lord knows the thoughts of the wise. He knows they are worthless. So, so, so we got two things here. We got all this coming together. So don't boast about uh, following a particular human leader for everything belongs to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Peter or the world or life and death or the present and the future. Then he says, everything belongs to you, and, and, uh, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. So, look at Apollos. So, that, that so, this is, so begins chapter 4, but the chapter and verses weren't in the letter that Paul sent to the church in Corinth. We added those. So, he's connecting it. So, look at Apollos and me as mere servants of Christ who have been put in charge of explaining God's mysteries. So... Let's, let, you may have, let's just, for the sake of the class, for sake of practice, let's go back and let's see where Paul is focusing. Verse 16, don't you realize that all together you, uh, uh, you all together are the temple of God? Anything repeating itself here in a minute? And that the Spirit of God lives in you and God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple. There, you guys caught it. And God's temple is holy and you are that temple. So what's the focus of this verse? Temple. Now, immediately, those of us that have grown up in church, when we hear the word temple, we immediately go where? Jerusalem, right? We go to Jerusalem and we look at a, uh, at a, at a uh, temple in Jerusalem that was God's temple. And that's not wrong because there were Jews in Corinth. So some of them, when Paul was saying this, would have said, hey, temple. They would have gone immediately to the temple in Jerusalem. They knew it, they, that many would pilgrimage to it every year and go to the temple to worship God. Now, why was the temple so important to Jews? Well, if you go to Exodus, you'll see over and over again that it repeats himself, that in Exodus he says, the temple will be my place. That's where my presence will be. So I, I will dwell in a temple, and the people that dwell around the temple will be my people. So it's, the temple represents who? God. But... For many who are in uh, Corinth would have never been to Jerusalem. They wouldn't even have that context. They would have had the context of the 26 other temples or statues around Corinth. There are seven temples around Corinth. You saw me circle a few of them. They're all, all the way up the, uh, the top where the, uh, there's a temple on the uh, top of the mountain, the Akron uh, Corinth where the, the, there was a temple to Aphrodite. There was temples along the side of the mountain. There's all over a temple to Apollo, a temple to uh, Octavian, all these temples. Now, I want to I show you what one of those would have looked like so that you can get a picture what the Corinths were thinking when they saw, when they heard the word temple, they would have thought of this place. Now, you look at this and you're going, this is just some rocks. This is the Escapulian. And this is where they would have worshipped the god Escapulios, the god of 
healing, the son of Apollos, would have been here. So they would have worshipped him here. Now, this is an amazing place, but the archaeological, uh, most of the stones that were here, that, uh, were, that were utilized here, end up during the medieval times being used to build a fortress on top of Acrocorinth uh, uh, later on. So we don't have a real good picture. However, there's another one that is almost identical to it, and I had the opportunity to see it in Turkey, outside of Pergamon. Outside of Pergamon, there's another place where there's a place called the, uh, where they worship the god Escapelios, almost identical to what would have been at the place of Corinth. Now, this is going to blow your mind. So when you walked in, they would have walked from Pergamon, you'd have walked into this place where they would have uh, worshipped uh, Asclepios, and they, they would have went down a road called the Sacred Way. And they were going to this place because it was the place of healing. Basically, if you want to put it in our vernacular, it was a health and wellness spa. It had all the things that you can think of in today's, like, it had, uh, it had, it was unbelievable. Here's the ruined stone pictures I had the opportunity to take. Um, they had a theater, but this theater wasn't like other theaters in, in Roman culture. This one, they only did comedies. Why? Because laughter is the best medicine, right? They only did comedies at this one. They would only, they never did tragedies or anything else. They had these places that you would go down. There was these, uh, the, uh, this, this one right here. I'll come back to that picture. This is a spring. You know who this guy is back here? That's a cool dude right there. It's uh, my dad. Uh, we had, so there, but here is a sacred fountain that still flows to this day. And they've been to do, able to do some testing. They found some uh, materials in there that are actually, they think, are radioactive. Um, so that might have been why they went there to drink the things, and it might have made them feel better and might have helped them in some areas. Here's what's crazy. People from all over the world would go to both Pergamum and to Corinth to get healing, to find healing. Now, Escapelios, if you don't recognize it, oh, here, oh, they would go down these, these are crazy. They would go into these chambers, and I've been in these, and it's kind of really cool but also really freaky. You go down in there, they have these dream rooms, where there would be dream healings. So here's what they would, they would come there. They would approach the priest. The priest would say, hey, you want to get better? Here's some things you need to take. You take these herbs, you take this, uh, drink this, and then you go, you're going to go down here and you're going to sleep in this room. And as in your room, now what they gave them probably caused some type of hallucinations. They also had these little uh, setup where the priest would be at, uh, up above ground and able to speak into these little pipes where the people were sleeping. God says, you must... Give Josh $20 every Friday. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> so they, they would have, I've been in this. Like, it's still there. You, I've seen this. It's crazy that they had this place. And they, so they would go, they would go into these rooms, these chambers, and all of this is like, wow. And now here, here's what's, I got to take this picture. Now, do you see what is on that statue right there? See those? Now, here is, this is from Pergamum, uh, that this statue is now in the uh, museum in Berlin, but do you see what the, sta uh, the staff right there, and what's going around it? Yeah? You might recognize it as this, Scapely's rod. Whenever you see this, this is what they're referencing. It is the form of medicine. There's actually some amazing medical things that take place out of both Pergamum and Corinth that brought forth medicine that we still use 
today. Now, was it uh, just coincidence that the medical things happen? Was it was just human wisdom? Was it some kind of d divine uh, spiritual thing happening there? I don't know. I wasn't there, but I do know I can look at the evidence of what we have. And this is going back, this is some ruins that they found. This is back to uh, Corinth and the escape uh, there. This right here, let me uh, see if I can get a good, this right here. You see that? That's a pit where they would bring things to offer to the god Escapelios. And when they would come in, they would offer him. They found money in here. They found remains of some snakes because they would have, of course, snakes. Uh, they also found a bunch of things, of uh, pieces that look like they found these in there. Now, those are all body parts. Human body parts that range from anything, like everything in the body is seen in there. Like, we don't look too deeply because you'll see things that might be a little R-rated. But they, they found these because what they would do is they would come and they would offer to the god Escapelios what they wanted healed. So if they said their left arm needed healed, they would have a, a mold of their arm and they would offer it to them. And then, now, here's what I, people don't keep going to places if it doesn't work. So clearly, they found over 900 pieces that were found there. Now, that means there's much more than that if that's how many they found. So people were coming to this place for healing. And so what I want you to grasp in seeing all this is that people from all over would come to this place at the temple because that's where their God was. That was the representation of their God. They would come in and they would worship the snakes because that was a representation of their God. They would come in these temples. When they heard the word temple, they completely understood and saw this. This is what happens when I go to a temple to worship these things. So let's go back to 1 Corinthians. And he says, don't you realize? In other words, this is a rhetorical question. Hey, guys, you know this. I've already taught you this. I love Paul because he goes, he calls them out, but he also loves on them. Because, hey, <laughs> this, I, I, I can't help this, but this is one of the favorite things about, about Kenny was he was the perfect the combination of, uh, of encouragement and pushback. He would, do, he would do just what Paul would do. He would, he would call you out on, on your junk. Nah, come on now. You know that's not right. But at the same time, encourage you. This is what Paul's doing. Paul's going, guys, you know you're not living right. You realize that. You know this. But let me remind you that you, that you all together, you all together are the temple of God. Now, what is he doing here? He's saying, not just Paul, not just Peter, not just Apollos, I'm talking about all of you together are the, the temple of God and that the spirit of God lives in you. It's in you. God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple. It's very important to him. God's temple is holy, abnormal, and you are that temple. That's who you are. You are the ones who are holy. You are set apart. You're abnormal. This is what you're supposed to be doing. And you have to see that what he's putting together for them is this illustration of the temple, that they are a representation of God on this earth. And that when people come to you or them, that they are representing him. So don't boast. <laughs> so don't boast about following a particular human leader. That word boast, remember I talked about this a couple weeks ago, 
and I talked about Erastus, and Erastus had a special, uh, they found the, the Erastus stone, the inscription that said Erastus built this road. He paved this. He paid for it to happen. Now, what's interesting, he's saying, hey guys, your identity, your abnormal identity is no longer in you, but it is in representing Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. You have an abnormal identity. Now, Erastus, in Acts chapter 18 is when Paul goes to Corinth for the first time. In Acts chapter 19, he said, he's writing, um, uh, he says he sent his two assistants, Timothy and Erastus, ahead of, ahead to Macedonia while he stayed a while longer in the province of Asia. Coincidence? I don't know. Let's look a little bit further. Let's dive into the Bible. Another time that you see uh, this guy mentioned is that Paul is writing from Corinth to Rome, and he says, Gaius says hello to you. We, you see him in, uh, late in, uh, mentioned in Cor uh, Corinthians. He is my host and also serves as the host to the whole church. Erastus, the city treasurer. Somebody with lots of, uh, of, of position and power. Somebody who might just put an inscription that says, I built this road. I'm boasting in who I am. But something happened between who he was before Paul gets there in Acts chapter 18 and who he is when Paul begins to write back to the church in Rome on his second trip back. What is it? His identity changed. His identity was no longer in me, look at me, look at me. His identity changed that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. There's an abnormal identity. Everything belongs to you, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. So look at Apollos and me as mere servants of Christ who have been put in charge of explaining God's mysteries. So what Paul says is, hey, guys, you have to understand, your identity is different, my identity is different. Stop looking at, Paul, uh, at me and Apollos as something unique. Instead, look at us mere servants of Christ. That's our identity. We have an abnormal identity. When he writes this to, he says this to uh, those in um, Galatians, he says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. So Paul's writing this. He says, it is no longer I who live, my identity is changed, it's no longer who I was, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. His identity is changed. You are the temple of God. You are no longer identified by who you are individually. You are identified by who you are in Christ. You all together are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God lives in you. This is, but what, what's this mean for us? Because we're identified in Jesus, here's what happens. Paul says in Romans chapter 3 that the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Our righteousness is dependent upon our faith in Jesus Christ. So our identification in Jesus makes us righteous. We can't make ourselves righteous, but we are identified righteous. Why? Because we are identified with Christ. Galatians 5.1. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. You are free because you are with Christ. You are, whoa, what miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? <laughs> Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. See, 
<laughs> what we're going through right now? Why, why do, what, what, can, what can get us through this season that we're going through, that we're, we are stung with the loss of de- with death? What can get us go- through this season? Nothing but Jesus. The answer is Jesus. And then you get to understand this, that it's not, we, we work together. That, that combination, I, I, I wish I had more time to talk to this, but the disciples went everywhere and preached, and the Lord worked through them. See, our, con- we, our work matters, but it's, it works because we're identified with Jesus. 2 Corinthians 6.1 says, and working together with him. Paul re- references this. Hey, we're working together with him. Let me, let me break this down for you. I was trying to figure out a way to show this to you the best way I could. And what better way than to do that with some, uh, uh, what, what are these things called? Uh, toads, but uh, what are those little things? What are these? Tupperware. That's what it is. That's, uh, yeah, Rubbermaid Tupperware. Let me, uh, let me help you. This one, this is you, right? So this is who you are. But Paul tells us that this is who you are and that as a follower of Christ, that Jesus dwells in you. That's salvation. See, you have Christ in you. You cannot do anything to have Christ living. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. It only happens because Jesus Christ died for you. That's it. So you receive him. And he lives in you. And this is beautiful. Because when things come against you, you can say, I have Christ in me. When things seem to be going against hard, I have Christ in me. He is with me. It's same true. It's, it's just not, uh, uh, you can say it's true for for Paul, it's not about your position. It's not about what your name is. It's just Christ is in you. It's also true for Apollos and all that. It's, man, there's so much here I could spend time, but every one of them have the Spirit of God in them. But it also says that you are the temple, the body of Jesus Christ. So if you are in him, the church, now he, not only is he in you, but you and I are in him. Now, this is what's awesome. Because not only, so when the world is coming against you, the way it's pushing against you, now the enemy has to not just come against you and the spirit that's in you, but it has to go against the church that is around you. And we are the church. That's why it's so important to be in him, that he is in us and that we are in him. We belong to him. That's what Paul said in, in the, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 23. It says, it's, he's, you are in him. So it's, he's in you, you're in him. It's powerful. It's powerful. Because here's what's awesome is that because we represent the body of Jesus Christ, the enemy, when he tries to attack us, gets told, no, 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 I already crushed you when I died for you. This is my church. They are abnormal they are different. They are set apart. They are mine. But it goes even further. Because Paul says, not only is the Spirit in you, and you belong, Christ belongs to you, and you belong to Christ, but Christ belongs to God, our Father. And the enemy 
can't just come against us because all the way back in the beginning, the victory was already ours. Because the, when the Satan said, hey, I'm going to come against God, God says, nope. And it's described as a star shooting lightning, shooting from the sky. That's what God did with him. When we have these difficult times, we have to understand this is who we are identified as, the body of Jesus Christ. This is what's so powerful. You don't need to be afraid. The victory is yours. Why? Because Christ is in you, and you are in Christ, and he is in God. The layers are overwhelmingly awesome, again, for your favor. But see, this is, so much is here, because when we understand this, this brings the value to the church to even higher level. Right now, we're going through a hard situation. We're going through a process that we don't know what's going to go forward, and it's hard, and we, we're learning, and we're mad, and we're disappointed, and we're sad, and the Bible says we mourn together, and we celebrate together. We do this as a church. We're strengthened because of the church. We're brought together, and we heal one another. We build one another up. James says you want to find healing, you come together and ask for forgiveness. You repent to each other. You want to find power, you do it in the church. You do it in a place of anointed positioning within him. It's powerful. This is what Paul is trying to speak to them. Is saying, hey guys, you're abnormal. Because your identity is not in this world. Your identity is not in your job. Your identity is not in your name. Your identity is in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ Here's the opportunity you have today. Say, I'm gonna take that step of salvation. So some of you, you've never had Jesus Christ dwelling in you, and it's, again, you can't earn it, you can't do anything. The victory has already been given to you by the death that he gave to us on the cross in his resurrection. So how do you receive it? You simply turn to him. The Bible calls it repentance. We say, it's simply saying, Jesus, I can't do this on my own. I need you. I'm no longer gonna do it myself. I surrender to you. I want, I want to pray that prayer right now. If you're here this morning and you're ready to take that step, I want to pray this prayer. And for some of you, you're going, I, I need a renewal of this. I need to make a commitment to allow Jesus to be in me. Lord Jesus, you can, you can pray this prayer silently. You can say it out loud. You can use my words exactly the way, or you can say them in your, in your own way. But Jesus, I need you. I can't do this my own. I can't earn salvation but I can accept your gift of salvation. Your victory is my victory, and I turn to you, and I make you the Lord of my life. Thank you for allowing your spirit to be in me. In Jesus' name, amen.